imposing grandeur, the quality or state of being impressive or awesome. The purpose of studying theology and reading books, it's it's not to gain our own intellect, but rather it is to bring us to Him. Because when you see how glorious and how holy and how majestic our Creator is, the more you worship Him. He is our imposing grandeur. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Imposing Grandeur Radio, episode 14. How are you guys doing? I'm joined here with Annie and Avery, as always. It's lovely seeing you both on the the web sphere. Is that what you call it? The the online world. (laughs) The interweb. The interweb. Well, now it is called the web sphere. (laughs) (laughs) Starting tonight. But anyway, how are you guys doing today? How's your day been? Um, well, it's been pretty good. I went to church. It was a good sermon as usual. Um, I mean it's hard to rate the preached word of god as bad but <laughs> um, yeah, scale of one to ten how did your pastor do <laughs> <laughs> um, but no that was good um came home ate lunch i don't get up early so that's all i've done so <laughs> <laughs> all right productive <laughs> avery how are you what'd you do today um i did church and ate a very strange lunch because all I have is leftovers right now. And mm. then I've just been working the rest of the day. It's been wow. a working type of weekend. Well, I feel like we yeah. need to know what you had for lunch since you called it strange. I know. I'm curious. Oh, you want to know? Baked beans yeah. and mac had... and cheese, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> no. Not that strange. We don't hate ourselves. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I had... Hummus and Fritos, because it's the only thing I had to scoop my hummus with. Together? And <laughs> yes, a pickle and salami and turkey. Oh, wow. It. It's like You're a charcuterie so- board, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it all is. I had, and I was like, I'm so hungry. So I just ate it. Your stomach is probably like, what is going on? <laughs> no. Alexa, what did you do? I also went to church. If our listeners haven't figured it out, we're recording on a Sunday. Um, but yeah, I went to church, came home, hung out with the fam, and it's just been a really nice Sabbath, you know? Um, looking at this week, prepping as needed, and and now I'm just here with you guys, and I'm excited to be here because tonight we're going to be talking about something that I'm really interested in. I mean, we're talking about one of God's characteristics. I mean, this is the attributes of God series that we're going through. And tonight it is God as a shepherd. Um, And when I say that we're talking about something I'm really interested in, I'm super intrigued with the whole shepherding concept. I mean, throughout the Bible, it does refer to Jesus and God as a shepherd. And so my question, I guess, to start us off is, um, what are the characteristics of a shepherd? How can we understand God and um, Jesus as a shepherd, as it pertains to our own life? What what do you guys have to say about that? Well, I think if we want to know how God, what God intends for us to understand when he says like he is the good shepherd, what he means by that, we need to go to the scriptures. And obviously we could go to Psalms 23, but 
I actually found John 10 to be very impactful when determining like how is God a good shepherd? And this is Jesus speaking specifically, but we see the characteristic of like a protector or sacrificial leader, um, a sacrificial protector, because Jesus says in verse 11, um, I am a good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he was just talking about wolves that come to steal and kill his sheep. And then in verse 16, he also says, um, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Um, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And so you see that we see God, a shepherd is a provider because the the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I come that they may have life and life abundantly. Um, and also a leader and a guide. So verse four of that same passage says, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the shepherd follow him for they know his voice. So those are just three like major things that stood out to me, how God being a shepherd indicates that he's a protector, a provider and a leader. Um, so yeah. Mm, that was really good. I love that, Annie. And I think too, it's important to know why we're compared to sheep in scripture um, to understand fully what a shepherd means. And um, sheep don't take care of themselves as people assume. Like they don't just take care of themselves. Like cattle can be in a field and be left alone for the most part. And a lot of animals in the wild fend for themselves. But sheep require endless attention and meticulous care. And they're pretty much helpless creatures. It is no accident that we're compared to sheep in scripture. Philip Keller talks about how our finite mind, our fears, what we're timid about, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. But yet, despite this, Christ chooses, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us. And so a shepherd has to be a very, very in-tune provider. And to take care of sheep, (laughs) my friend, because I don't know many people I've taken care of sheep, but um, my friend and her family took care of sheep for a small amount of time. Her dad's a pastor. And she said that one of the hardest parts of her like high school life was taking care of sheep because of how much care went into it and how much they had to do to make sure the sheep were staying alive and didn't just die and honestly the whole book like we cannot recommend it more the whole book walks through psalm 23 and why each aspect of this psalm parallels with something that sheep struggle with that a shepherd has to take care of them like make sure that these certain type of flies don't get under their fur and get into their skin because it can kill them and like there's so many endless things there's an endless list of the things that a shepherd has to do so it's just amazing that we are the sheep to the shepherd and that he used that metaphor is just beautiful and so I love seeing that when we get to say the Lord is my shepherd like in Psalm 23 this automatically makes a working relationship between God and man Mm -hmm. there's this different type of relationship that God has made in this metaphor. And that is just beautiful to me. Yeah. I think Avery, you make a great point of like the whole aspect of a shepherd comes to life when you really focus on the need and what is the need? The sheep need 
a leader, somebody to give them constant care. And I think um, God is painting this picture that is so beautiful. And it's in a concept that we can understand, although we haven't witnessed shepherd it like i mean we live in the south of the united states like it's not so much like shepherds are everywhere but i think it's in an understandable concept for us to grasp these carnal these kernel of truths of shepherds and their flocks enjoy a close relationship and there are the sheep are in need of constant care and i think an obscure passage that might not everybody may think of but um, came to mind was Second Samuel twelve three, and this is when Nathan rebukes David for having that affair with Bathsheba, and he tells him this story of this rich person with so many sheep, and um, then he compares that person to um, somebody who's really poor, and he says in twelve three, he says, "But the poor man had nothing but a little ewe lamb which he had bought," and um, as he's going into the detail in which this man has this relationship with this one little lamb, I just think it's so precious and tender. And it says that he had bought it, he had brought it up and he grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. And just how precious that is. I mean, of course, Nathan is bringing that story up to draw a bigger picture and rebuke David for his sin. But that small glimpse of that relationship from between a shepherd and a sheep, it's very close. It's very close knit. It's very tender. And I think there is such a beautiful picture that God is trying to draw in constantly referring to himself as the good shepherd, like Annie, you were saying. And like Annie, you were also referring to John 10, three through four, it talks about how the sheep follow him because they know his voice. There's that intimacy there. And then even in Matthew 9, 36, it says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like Avery, you were saying, like sheep without a shepherd. Like when you start thinking of all of those verses within the framework of this close, intimate relationship that is supposed to be there. And then in situations where that relationship is absent and how that was not according to God's original design, his original design is that we are so close to him. We are always relying on him. We are always looking to him as being our source and our provider and our caretaker. And I mean, that just truly makes everything so much more sweet and just draws our relationship with him in such a, a more illuminating light. Yes, I love that. And I love just you pointing out more scriptures that show that relationship, like you were saying, Avery. Um, something that interests, like I did a word study on shepherd when preparing for this and a really interesting passage that came up was Zechariah 11. And it paints a really interesting picture of what a bad shepherd is. And mm -hmm. um, these are obviously like prophecies to Israel where um, the kingdom's about to be split. And it says in Zechariah 11, 4, um, thus says the Lord, pasture the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, slay them and go unpunished. And each of those who sell them says, blessed be the Lord for I've become rich and their own shepherds have no pity on them. And so my footnotes um, by John MacArthur say, the Lord God said that his people were to be treated like sheep fattened for the slaughter, whose shepherds have no pity for them, but are only interested in money for the meat. And so like, 
not every shepherd, that's why when God refers to himself as a good shepherd, you see all of these attributes of a faithful, loving, compassionate, kind, dedicated shepherd, because there are shepherds that don't care about those things that simply want to make money off of their um, animals or eat their meat. And so um, I thought that was like very interesting. And also, which this is almost a rabbit trail that I'm not sure we're necessarily going to go down completely, but like God calls leaders in ministry to shepherd the flock, to shepherd his mm. flock. And so this is a good example of showing like you can either imitate Christ in your shepherding and be a good shepherd, or you can be a horrible shepherd to his flock and mm. bring destruction upon them. And that's a grave calling, which again, I'm not sure we're getting super into that, but. Yeah, that's a great point. And I guess while we're talking about the whole terminology of shepherding and um, sheep and flock, I have a question that I guess we haven't really, we weren't really planning on talking about, but just out of curiosity, I mean, it's no mystery that God is compared to the good shepherd, but it's also no interest, no mystery that Jesus is compared and referred to as the lamb of God. Um, for instance, in Revelation 7 verses 17, it says, for the lamb is in the midst of the throne, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So how do we, what is this connection of Jesus being both the shepherd and the sheep? So I think Christ described as a lamb or sheep is my favorite type or like shadow of Christ because you see it literally so pervasive throughout the entire Old Testament and even in the New Testament. I mean, John 3 says, John sees Christ and he says, behold the Lamb of God. And so it's like, what does that mean? And it goes all the way back to the patriarchs with Abraham. He's walking his son Isaac up to make a sacrifice to God. Well, why did there need to be a sacrifice, a lamb uh, clean of blemish? Um, because sin requires a blood atonement, innocent blood to be shed. And we see this, Cain and Abel. Abel is giving that blameless lamb sacrifice to Lord, the Lord, and Abel is not. And so all throughout Scripture, you continue to innocent, clean lamb sacrifice. You see it in the temples, the priests slaughtering the lambs um, to atone for the sins. Obviously, we're not talking there needed to be another sacrifice, a human sacrifice, a sacrifice like us, because lambs and sheep can only go so far to atone for sin. And so it's just amazing how Jesus is the Lamb of God, because that reference means a lamb for sacrifice. He's going to be sacrificed for sins. He's going to atone for the sins of others. And so, and then also Christ isn't like us in the sheeply nature that Avery's talking about, how he's, how we're like, we need somebody to shepherd us. We need, because we are so easy to go astray. That's not Christ. He's not like us in our sin. And, but he is a sheep in a sacrificial sense. And he's also the shepherd to uh, care for the rest of the flock. And so it's like, it's crazy to think about how Christ fulfills all of these offices and roles throughout scripture and throughout our daily lives that we can like look to and see, but specifically um, Christ as a lamb sacrifice is, 
it's profound. I mean, it's like the clearest picture of the gospel that I can pull from the Old Testament. I mean, the last thing I'll say about it is look at the Passover, which is the final day of the plagues um, during the Egyptians. And what does God tell the Israelites? He says, slaughter a lamb and wipe the blood on your um, doorframe and the angel of death will pass. And so it's like, why? Why? Because it's innocent blood. It's saying we are like we are in this house under that innocent blood. And so it's like then would come one, the ultimate lamb, the lamb of God, whose blood would wipe our sins away. And so um, Isaiah 1, 8 says, like, though your sins are like scarlet, he will make them white as snow. And it's just you could go on and on and on. You could talk about how God clothed Adam and Eve in lamb skin. Um, when they were naked, like there's so many, like you just, you can't stop. There's so many references to lambs Mm. foreshadowing the lamb to come. And so it's, it's truly mind blowing. And I probably didn't do a great job explaining all of that, but truly like, if you have time, I encourage you to like study of the sacrificial system of lambs through, I know Leviticus can be daunting, but, um, it, it's very rewarding when you read it through a perspective of Christ is the lamb. All of this is referencing one to come. Yeah, that's awesome, Annie. And I love just hearing that truth and being encouraged by that. I mean, it's truly, I mean, when compared to other religions besides biblical Christianity, you see them prescribing ways in which individuals can atone for their own sin. You know, there's this, there's this do, 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 you know what, but when Christ came and lived and died, he pronounced it to be done. He has officially, I mean, for him being our sacrifice and our savior is just truly mind-blowing. And the fact that he has offered the perfect atonement, perfect atonement for our sins once and for all, like the book of Hebrews states over and over and over again, it's truly something that we can take just confidence in every single day. And that should affect how we live. But I guess um, expounding more on how this should affect us in our daily life. Um, of of course we don't encounter shepherds, um, every single day. Um, but God's characteristics in being a shepherd should permeate our entire, um, way of thinking and how we live and conduct ourselves throughout daily living. So I just want to ask you guys, how could we apply and love this description of God as our shepherd? Um, when it seems almost intangible, I mean, we might not be surrounded by shepherds every single day, but in this discussion in which we can directly apply and appreciate and um, just have certain things become illuminated all the more. What are your thoughts? I think um, it can be probably hard for people to reach as far as imagining God as a shepherd when you don't fully know what that looks like. So hopefully you've done an okay job of explaining more of what a shepherd means. But I think if you would like a different example, um, something that I thought about was a newborn baby and the helplessness of a newborn baby and how a parent has, a loving parent has to provide so much for that child and has to be present and be um providing for every moment. They they literally cannot survive without a parent's help when they're that young. Um, and so I think that if you need like a parallel to how God cares for us and how he's gentle provider and loving and attentive to us and the way that he takes care of us, 
Um, you could think of it that way. And of course, there's like differences as well. But that was something that I thought through when I was trying to think of another um, example for how um, God being a gracious shepherd could also apply to something or a role that we can have, which is being an earthly parent for a baby. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting, Avery. I never thought about the comparison, but there's a lot there. Um, When I was thinking about this question, I came to the conclusion of like, God's character transcends, um, what is the word I'm looking for? It transcends like uh, pictures on earth to show us that. Mm-hmm. And so like kind of like what we all did at the beginning, how we are drawing out like from the text, what, how is God describing a good shepherd? How is God describing a bad shepherd? And so like we can all, like Avery, you were saying how uh, we can relate to a parent-child sort of relationship. Well, when we draw out truths such as like God is a protector, God is a provider, we know what that looks like. Like we, we can tangibly imagine that and feel it and experience it. So I think um, while you may not understand the office of shepherd, and there's a lot we miss there, like reading that book, um, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 from an actual shepherd, I realized like, wow, I missed a lot, but the mm-hmm. same themes were still, I still got the main themes. I still understood the overarching picture of what Christ was trying to say through the scripture. So it's like, you may miss some things, but you can still understand the overarching important things such as like protector, provider, caretaker, stuff like that. Right. And I think, I mean, obviously this applies to us and our how we view ourselves, how we view God and our personal relationship with him. But it's also a sobering reminder as to how God views those people who are not followers of him. You know, I mean, something that really sticks out in my mind is I had the opportunity to go to London, England last year. And I remember being in the streets of this really heavily populated Muslim area. And people just saw that I was handing out the Arabic translation of the book of John. And that's all that it took. They didn't really care about what I was saying, even though I wasn't even saying anything. I was just kind of being yelled at. (laughs) But um, they were just so hateful to what I was doing. I was just handing out free copies of this. And I remember the few conversations that I was able to have. um, A lot of it was just monologues of people trying to convert me or um, just being so angry at me for no apparent reason. But um, I remember... Um, after having discussions and just seeing how lost these people were. I mean, they just had so much, not to stereotype Muslims, but like just lost people in general. That wasn't the only people that I was having conversations with when I was in London, London, but just having these conversations with the lost and seeing how they're so strict at following a certain religion that doesn't even guarantee them eternal life. Um, I had one lady who um, was really just yelling at me. And I remember just interrupting her for one second and being like, ma'am, can I just ask you a question? If you follow Allah your entire life, do you know where you're going when you die? Because that's the thing. They don't have certainty of whether or not they'll get into heaven or hell when they die. That's not guaranteed in the religion. And she yelled back, I don't. And if I follow him my entire life and he sends me to hell, I don't care. And she just stormed off. And I just remember being so brokenhearted for these people, like I was crying because I thought of that verse of Jesus 
And in Matthew 9.36 saying, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And just thinking about how I wasn't sad because they were yelling at me. I wasn't sad because they were persecuting me. I was sad because they didn't know the truth. And I think that that should be our natural response when engaging with people that don't know the gospel, who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, because it's not some, I mean, we're guaranteed persecution, um, but we know where we're going when we die. We know that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the founder, the perfecter of our faith, and we will suffer with him, but we will also be glorified with him. And so I think that verse really shows the heart of the lost, and that's something that we as believers should reflect and strive to have. We should have a heart of sorrow for these people. We shouldn't, we should not be lofty, but we should associate with the lowly and reach out to them and try to um, share the gospel with them and to not be so personally attacked whenever they, I mean, they're not believers. We can't expect them to act like believers, you know? And so I think that's just something that I think of whenever I think of that verse now. Yeah, that was... That was a powerful story, Alexa. Thank you for sharing that, um, which made me want to add to that. Like, as Christians, we are sheep with a shepherd. Don't live your life like you don't have a shepherd. Don't mm. live your life worrying about tomorrow, fearful mm. of, I know, all this election stuff going on, all of that, fearful of um, just what tomorrow brings or um, so unsure like live your life like you have a shepherd. So those people mm. that Alexa is talking about, unbelievers, the sheep without a shepherd, can see you and know by the way that you choose to live your life that there that you have the assurance that somebody is taking care of you. And mm. I think it's easy to forget that, but don't live like unbelievers. Don't don't live as though you have a shepherd because you do. Mm, that's good. That's a screensaver, Avery. Living <laughs> <laughs> we'll that a screensaver. Live like you have a shepherd. I like that. <laughs> um, and I think going back to feeling maybe like it's hard to fully get in process what a shepherd looks like. I think as we're in scripture daily and we're reading and learning more about Christ's character and who God is, we're going to have that picture of him as a shepherd without maybe knowing a real-life example or earthly example of a shepherd. So I'd encourage you that if you want to learn more about what a shepherd really is and what that means as God is a shepherd, dig into Scripture more. Order this book we've been talking about. Listen to music on Psalm 23. I think Shane and Shane has a song called I Shall Not Want. And it's a beautiful rendition of Psalm 23. And there's so many other resources where you can learn more about what a shepherd means. And truly, we are a testament of when you learn more and you dig deeper into Psalm 23, what each word means, it just drips with just the richness of who God is and what he has done for us and what he continues to do as our shepherd. And just like Annie was saying, as we're learning that and we realize that and we're in awe of who he is, we are abounding in thanksgiving and we can we are just excited to tell others like alexa was talking about those that don't have a shepherd and we have no choice but to live as people with a shepherd and it's just such a beautiful thing and i think if i think back to 2020 and how insane this year has been one of the mo most favorite things that i've learned this year is what it looks like for god to be a shepherd in this book 
um, in that psalm has been a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great words to wrap up um, a good episode. I really enjoyed talking about this. And hopefully you listening, you were encouraged by this. Um, just taking time out of your day to reflect on another attribute of God and um, an attribute that I feel like um, isn't really focused on a lot. I mean, we hear it all the time. God is your shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. Um, Psalm 23 is cross-stitched on like every <laughs> Christian pillow, like every home. Um, but I just think that it's it's really cool to talk about and like take time out of and just really dwell on. But um, unfortunately, we have run out of time for this specific episode. But before we fully close, um, IG Hot Seat coming in hot. Woo-hoo. I have a question for you guys um, before oh, we man. dip on out of here. But I was thinking earlier today how we are all pretty avid coffee drinkers. I mean, yes, Ooh. yes, yes, we can attest. <laughs> I mean, Annie is not so much as she used to be, but we give her grace. Grace abounds. <laughs> just kidding. But um, I was just curious, what is a coffee drink that you have had? And it could either be super bizarre or super unique or just super different, like in any of those categories. Um, I'm curious, like, because... Super hip coffee shops have been coming out with these really cool drinks. You know, like some of them could be nitro brew. I mean, nitro is pretty dope. But like there's also just like really interesting latte flavors. Like I know lavender is like a hot take. Like a lot of people either hate it or they love it. But like lavender and coffee, that's just really obscure. Like three years ago, that would be a little different. But I mean, I love lavender. Share your orange juice coffee experience. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not trying to be biased, but I thought of that this was question. the worst. I thought of this question and I was like, I could definitely share that. So that is mine. Um, and so while you guys are thinking of yours, but you feel like um, you're going to have to explain it a little more. Yeah, no, I definitely will. I'll take you guys through the entire journey, but um, just close your eyes and picture yourself in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, but um. So while you guys are thinking about that, I'll share my answer. So we were in Blue Ridge and um, we went to this really like, I guess, hole in the wall, like coffee shop. I mean, it was super popular according to like whatever website we were on looking for the hip things to do in that town. But um, so I go in. Doss Coffee Hall. Oh, yes. Shout out. I mean, I don't know if they want us to say because this isn't really going to bring them. Okay. Yeah. Maybe not. Take that out. (laughs) Nah, I'm gonna keep that in there. We love genuine like authenticity. Um, but anyway, so I walk in and I am like, I love trying new things. Um, and I see on the menu, I forget what it was even called, maybe like the orange sunrise or something. And I ask the barista because I'm always striking up conversations with the baristas. I'm like, um, because I want to know how things work, like how things work, and also like the thought process behind all of that. And so I'm like, so what is that? And they're like, oh, it's this like eight ounces of orange juice with two shots of espresso and then two pumps of raspberry syrup. And I'm like, yo, that sounds so gross. (laughs) And they were like, I mean, I didn't tell them that, but I was thinking that. And they're like, well, we have a local that comes in and drinks it all the time. He says he loves it. And I'm thinking, okay, well, it's on the menu. Like, of course it has to be decent, you know, like, they don't hate themselves. They want business. So surely this isn't <laughs> disgusting. So of course I get that and have super high hopes. I'm like, wow, I'm the first. I felt like I was the first person to walk the moon. I'm like, people are going to be drinking this in three years. Like I'm I'm setting the trend or whatever. And I drink it. It was the most disgusting. Like I, Annie, did you try it? Did you ever yeah, try it? I can't it? remember what we said it tasted like, like tacos you, or something. Okay, so I was drinking it, 
And at first I was like, okay, like I can bear with the hipsterness of this. Like maybe if I take a few sips, it'll get better. But then Annie said that it tastes like soy sauce. And I could yes! not get that. Yes! <laughs> I could not get it out of my brain. And it it truly did taste like soy sauce. And like it was like eight oh. or twelve ounces of drinking just straight up soy sauce. And it was it was disgusting. Like it was just horrible. But if you're listening to this and that is your favorite coffee drink. I'm sorry for your taste buds. Yeah, I apologize, but you're also probably a lot cooler than I am. You're probably one of those hipsters who go to the coffee shop and like read a newspaper or something. Like I'm not worthy. <laughs> anyway, what about you guys? What are some pleasant stories or horror stories? Horror stories. Like it doesn't have to be all bad, but I, I'm I'm curious. Um, I don't know. You already mentioned this one so I don't know if this would be like crazy but my like top favorite is lavender a lavender spin on anything so I've loved lavender honey lavender Mm. vanilla like usually I can bet if a coffee shop has lavender on the menu they're pretty decent coffee shop I'm gonna enjoy Mm. it but people that have kind of like a few basic flavors they don't kind of go outside the box I'm like "Mm, I don't know if I'm gonna like you know their coffee as much so I'll kind of go more basic like a caramel vanilla latte something like that but this is kind of similar but a little bit of a non-coffee drink but when I was in Birmingham a few weeks ago I had a spiced chai cider so it wasn't a coffee but it was like cider mixed with chai tea and that was really good and something I'd never Mm. had before so that's like on the top of my head but it was like fall in a cup Because you guys know chai tea and cider is, like, so festive. But, like, mix the two. It was Mm. really, really good. I like that. I want to try that. That sounds really good. And also, Avery, I was curious. When we were at GCSU together, I know we and a couple of girls went to this bookstore, coffee shop thing. And they had on the menu the Mexican mudslide, which is espresso and Coca-Cola iced. Yes. Did you ever get that? No, but I tried a sip and it was gross. It's okay, like yes. up there with the sunrise one we just yes. talked about. Yeah, same here. And I was wondering if you had if you had tried that, but I remember like I know people in our group bought it and I was like, I'm not buying that, but I'll try it, you know? But that's definitely Yes. But some people like I've heard like you either hate it or you love it. Like there are people out there that yeah. love that, you know? And I know people who mix espresso with lemonade and put a little like um mint like leaf on it. Like and they love oh. it. They love it. I don't it's true it's just an like, acquired taste I am it's friends weird. with these people like I, <laughs> so yeah I mean it, it's definitely I don't personally like to mix citrus with my espresso but you know like I'm also just not a really I love coffee but I wouldn't consider myself a pretentious coffee drinker not that people that like this are pretentious I'm not saying that but that, I guess my palate is just not fully developed within that that area <laughs> I'm not sure but, if that's development not or losing <laughs> yeah they're kind of like de-evolving <laughs> but Annie what about you so unfortunately I feel like 2020 showed me that I was trying to enjoy coffee but deep down every time I go to a coffee shop and order a latte I don't like it and I'm like Hmm. why do I keep doing this perpetual cycle of like (laughs) trying to enjoy lattes I do it's not the coffee shop no it's everywhere I do sometimes enjoy like a caramel latte or an iced caramel latte, but like that's these. And I realized my thing is I like black coffee a lot, just alone. But when it's like the syrup added to it, I just I can't do it. I really can't. I've tried. It leaves like a yeah. weird taste in my mouth. 
Um, but that being said, I really, really enjoy black coffee. I especially have gotten into flavored beans. I don't like yeah. I just love having flavored beans because it has like a sweet little aftertaste when I drink my black coffee. But it's not like that fake flavor that I get from like creamer or syrups or anything. So that would probably be it for me. You need to tell them about our specialty drink at Starbucks that we all like because that is one oh, we agree on. Yes. <laughs> How much time I, do we have? <laughs> I'll make it quick because the people need to know after talking about our lemonade coffee drinks. Um, yeah, they need something good to leave with. Exactly. Um, so this drink is not coffee, it's chai. So you get an iced chai latte with almond milk and then three pumps uh, or one pump, one pump. Of it's just cin- a shot of. Okay, and it's a shot of cinnamon dolce syrup and then Starbucks pumpkin this is a Starbucks drink. Uh, and then their pumpkin cream foam, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It will change your life. Yeah. I really have been dying to have one. It's so, it's so good. So good. It's really good. You don't and want if you- a venti, and I never get a venti there. So yeah, yeah. Venti. you'll devour it. And if you don't like, because <laughs> I thought it was really good, but it was also very sweet. And I, unlike Annie, I do like flavor in my coffee. I get the pumpkin cold brew. So you get the pumpkin cold brew foam and the cold brew itself with a shot of cinnamon dolce. And that is like amazing. That's like my favorite Starbucks drink right now, though. But, mm-hmm. um, that's if you want coffee, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, not that I go to Starbucks all the time. However, since discovering these drinks, I have been a lot more often than I normally am because, I mean, a good drink, mm-hmm. like that's kind of, I don't know, Starbucks is really hit or miss, I feel like. Um, but anyway, yeah. um, that is all the time we have for today. Unfortunately, we cannot keep talking about coffee, although <laughs> I feel like we already went over while talking about coffee. But um, <laughs> Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you've gleaned some um, wisdom of coffee, but also we're encouraged um, by what we are actually talking about, um, which is the attribute of God, God being a shepherd. But join us next week as we talk about how God is immutable. What does that mean, Annie? What does immutable mean? I don't know. Stay tuned and I can (laughs) pull up my Wayne Grudem definition. Ben, let's go.